G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. I am not the owner, I'm the tenant. One more time, one, two, three. I am not the owner, I'm the tenant. And welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. Today we'll hear the second part of Financial Drought. Pastor Jeff will share with us how to overcome being financially poor by understanding we're tenants or stewards of our wealth rather than the owners. Why do so many Christians end up in financial drought? It could be bad financial decisions. It could be that you haven't been good stewards with God's money. It could be that you've lived a life of entitlement. It could be that you've been living as an owner all your life instead of a tenant. And this is God's judgment on you. This is Today with Jeff Vines and Financial Drought, Part 2. Now, these messengers come in various forms in your life. And if you're young, and you even consider yourself young, it's good that you get this now. It's going to save you a lot of heartache in the future. Because God loves you so much, and he doesn't just want to play the role of big, bad, cosmic boss, he sends messengers into your life to wake you up to the fact you're not an owner. And they come in various forms. Sometimes they come in the form of an illness. I am convinced that God sent an illness, allowed an illness. I don't know. You know, I'm not going to get into the predeterministic will, the deterministic will. The, I don't know. I'm not that smart. Neither are you. But I do know this. I believe the illness came into my life so that I would wake up to my own mortality. Because when the illness came, here's what I started asking. Wow. I really am going to die someday. What am I really living my life for? I mean, what, what is going to be gold refined through the fire and what is going to be wood, hay, and stubble and absolutely useless? My biggest fear would be to get to the end of my life and realize I've accomplished nothing that really matters. But it took an illness, the messenger of an illness to wake me up that I'm not the owner, I'm the tenant. Sometimes he sends a major financial setback into a person's life to wake them up to the reality that you're not in control. No matter how wealthy you are, smart you are, intelligent, at any moment, the market did do this and you lose it all. Sometimes that's a messenger to wake you up to the reality that your security is not in money or things. Ultimately, it's in God. And his kingdom is the only thing that lasts forever, even when everything else falls apart. Sometimes it's a major success that he gives you. Sometimes in order to wake you up, to the reality that what you're chasing is futile and will never deliver what you think it will deliver, he will let you actually catch it and experience the depression and despondency of thinking that when you got this one thing, your life would be complete and then you got it and you're still right back to where you started in the beginning. A great story and example of this is Eric Little on whose life the movie Chariots of Fire is based. And Eric Little ran for a different purpose than his competitor, Harold Abrams. Little won a gold medal at the Olympics way back in the 20s. And he said, you know, God made me for China, 
but he also made me very fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. And in a conversation with Harold Abrams, who ran for himself in self-aggrandizement, Little asked him two-thirds of the way through the movie, are you afraid of losing? And here's how Harold Abrams responded. He said, all of my life, I've been afraid of losing, but now I'm afraid of winning. I have 10 seconds to prove the reason for my existence, and even then, I'm not sure I will. Do you hear what he's saying? All of my life, I thought if I won, if I'm a winner, then I will be complete. Now I'm terrified that I will win and I'll still be the same old me. But the great irony in all of this is one of God's most effective messengers is that when your life doesn't turn out the way you thought it would, let me, let me help you with this. I was speaking with a guy once, again, going back to my New Zealand days. And his comment to me was, since my life has not turned out the way that I'd planned, there is no God, Jeff. There is no owner. But doesn't that prove the opposite is true? Don't our difficulties point to an owner? How? Because life, despite what the self-help books will tell you, will never let you control it. Ten steps to success, your best life now. Whatever the formula you think will work, it's only a matter of time before the illusion is shattered. You're not in control. You can't control it. You can set your agenda, make your plans, plan your life out. That's good. Those are good things. But in one instant, everything changes. And the question is, if life will never let you truly believe that you're the owner, then the most obvious explanation is that you are not the owner. Somebody else is. Somebody else is in charge. And I've come to believe that everything about your life, every event that happens, no matter how good or bad or ugly, every single event is a messenger that comes into your life in big neon lights to remind you, you are not the owner. You're not in charge. Stop living like you are. Any resources you have, they're a gift from God that you didn't earn, that you're not entitled to. Any graces you've experienced is a gift from God. Any life-changing experiences, relationships, marriage, family, vacation, holidays, From life to death, every single bit of it is a gift from the owner. Nothing is required from him. And I'm begging you to ask yourself, how are you treating the messengers that God sends into your life? How are you treating them? Are you listening? Are you responding? Are you treating them shamefully? Are you beating them up? Worse yet, are you just ignoring them and getting on with your life? You know the definition of insanity, right? Doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. God sends you these messengers. Are you treating them the same every single time, expecting your life to turn out differently? Or are you going to wake up to the reality that you're not the owner? Now, finally, look at the relationship, the tenant's relationship to the son now. Mark 12, he had one left to send, a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all saying, they, they will respect my son. But the tenant said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. Now, notice the progressive anger here. First, the tenants treat the messengers shamefully. Then they start to kill them. Then they start to beat them up. Then the sun shows up and all, okay, erupts and they kill him. Now, let's take the sun for a moment and put him over here for a minute. We'll come back to him. Here's, Here's how you know you're a genuine Christ follower, okay? Here's how you know. You see sin. Sexual sins, pride, money, time, talents. What's yours is yours. You're going to go where you want to go, do what you want to do, think what you want. All of that, you see that, not as just a violation of some regulation, but when you're a Christ follower, the Holy Spirit in you begins to help you recognize that you see sin 
as resentment toward the crown claims of Christ over your life. He's not going to tell me how to use my body. He's not going to tell me what parameters in which to live. I'm entitled to do what I want with it. It's my time. It's my life. It's my body. It's my stuff. It all belongs to me. I'm going to do what I want to do. You start to recognize this is a rebellion against the claims of Christ over your life. You want to be the owner. And anyone who tells you differently, you're going to berate, belittle, and ultimately debunk. So let's say it together. Just make sure we got it. On the count of three, I am not the owner. I am the tenant. Okay, one, two, three. I am not the owner. I'm the tenant. One more time. One, two, three. I am not the owner. I'm the tenant. So what does that all mean? I, th- I believe that if I would have started this message differently, I would have lost you in five minutes. Because you know what this message is about? Financial drought. What's financial drought? It's when the well is dry, the tree is dead, the leaves have withered, the bank is closed. And the question is, how do you get the waters of living, living waters to flow into your life when you have a hard time keeping your head above water? The New Testament passage in Mark 12 is simply a continuation of another theme. This theme starts all the way back in Genesis 4. And here's how it goes. Now, Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Now, later on in the story, God's going to say to Cain, well, Cain, if you don't want to be sad, do what is right. What's the point? This is all the way back in Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, the four chapters in, what happens? What's this about? It's about owner versus tenant. It's about God saying, just so I know that you know I'm the owner and you're the tenant, I want you to bring the very first fruits of your life to me. One did, one didn't. And he did actually ended up leading to murder because when somebody reminds us that there's an owner, we want to kill them. This narrative continues through the scripture into Proverbs 3. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Look at that. Most people stop at verse 10. But he says, in the same context, don't despise the Lord's discipline. Do not resent his rebuke. What is God saying? If you act like an owner, I'm going to rebuke you. I'm going to discipline you. Don't resent it. It's important because if you're ever going to live the abundant life, you've got to know how things work. I'm the owner. You're the tenant. What is the principle? The principle is there is a posture of life that brings God's favor. There is a posture of life that opens the door to the devourer. The posture of the owner that opens the door to the devourer is the person who believes that it all belongs to you. And you'll share some of that as you see fit. And no one else is going to tell you how to use it. That you're the captain of your own ship and you're going to rely on your own wisdom and strength and acumen to produce crops and a productive economy. Now you do use God for your purposes because you will pray to get him involved because you want God involved in your private economy, but you're not going to get involved in his private economy. You want him to do things the way you want to do them, but you're never going to do things the way he wants you to do them because you don't trust him. Down deep inside, you don't trust him and you still think you're the owner. The posture in which you live is one of self-reliance, self-sufficiency, and ultimately self-glorification. And the Bible says that if you live as an owner, God will withdraw his hand of economic protection. Okay? Or there's the posture of a tenant. That's the person who lives with the spirit, that it all belongs to God, 
And God has the sovereign right to use your resources for his purposes in the world by his word and for his profit. Everything you have, all your resources, time, talents, everything is within his parameters. If you understand that you're the tenant, that's how you live. And you understand that the spirit of God has sovereign claim over the first fruits of your life. And you understand that as New Testament Christians, we're not about building our kingdoms and bigger barns. We're about building his kingdom, the one that is eternal, the one that lasts forever. And every time we do something in our lives to help somebody far from God move closer to God, we know that we're doing what Christ called us to do. He himself said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's supposed to be our ultimate passion as well. And the Bible says the results will be amazing. In Malachi 3, he says, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. So here's what he says. If you operate as the owner, I'm removing my hand of protection. But if you operate as the tenant, I'm gonna bless you. And I wanna do this because when I bless you, everybody else is gonna look at your life and say, man, look what happens when you live within the parameters of God by his word and for his profit. Thanks for joining us on Today with Jeff Vines. This is the second half of Financial Drought. Let's continue now with Pastor Jeff. Friends, I just don't know how to get around this. Now be careful, don't put words in my mouth. I'm not finished yet. Why do so many Christians end up in financial drought? There are too many reasons. I I don't know. Again, I'm not that smart. It could be bad financial decisions. It could be that you haven't been good stewards with God's money. It could be that you've lived a life of entitlement. It could be that you've lived above your means. You've tried to get more than your actual economy allows. It could be that you've been living as an owner all your life instead of a tenant. And this is God's judgment on you. It could be all those things. But it could also be simply that you're part and parcel of a fallen world. And of no fault your own, you're in this position. I don't know. You say, well, Jeff, I know people who have violated this principle. They're doing quite well. And my Point is what I said a few weeks ago, God is incredibly patient, but the clock is ticking. Destructive habits kill us slowly. I don't know the reasons why. I don't know. I just don't know. And I'm definitely not going to judge you and say, well, you've been a bad. No, that's not fair. I have no idea. But I can tell you how to overcome financial drought. I can tell you the next steps that will bring victory. I can do that. And it culminates in 2 Corinthians 9. When the apostle Paul says this, remember this, now read this very carefully. Get the tithe thing out of your mind. Get the 10% thing out of your mind. We're so legalistic when it comes to this. Just get all of that out of your mind for a second, okay? Just get it out and listen to this New Testament passage. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Did you read what was written right there? Here's the bottom line. God says basically this to you. I want you on your feet doing well. Because if you're on your feet doing well, you're going to have a greater capacity for generosity. And if you're a generous, sacrificial person, people are going to glorify God. But I'm not an enabler. 
I'm not going to keep pouring into the storehouses of your life if I know you're just going to spend it on your own self-aggrandizement. So I'm roaming the earth to and fro to see who I can trust. And those I can trust, I'm going to shift the cattle on a thousand hills over to this area because I'm a good steward and I'm a good financial manager. So I'm going to shift it the way of people that I know I can trust who will live like this. The more I give them, they're not going to build bigger barns. The more I give them, the more they're going to invest in what really matters. That is the policy under which we all live, that he's the owner and he wants you and I to be ambassadors of what God can do in a life that's submitted to him, but he's not an enabler. Do you understand this? It's the only place in the Bible where God says, test me. Bring the whole tithe, he says in Malachi 3.10 to the storehouse so that there might be food in my house and test me now in this. Now again, people say, well, that's talking about the Old Testament economy. Stop that. We're looking at a narrative that goes all the way from Genesis to Revelation. Stop being so legalistic and look at the big picture. The big picture is first fruits. God says, I'm the owner, you're the tenant, I want the first fruits of your life. And if you bring those first fruits to me, then I'm going to bless you. I'm going to open up the windows of heaven so that I can pour out a blessing on you so that you can pour out blessings on others. That's the motivation. If you just want to give to God so that you can get rich, you're at the wrong church. And if I really believe that for every dollar you give, God's going to give you 10, I'd hand out a dollar to everybody who came in. Stop that. It's the narrative. It's not the legalism. In fact, do you know what he means when he says, test me in this? Do you know what a gauntlet is? A gauntlet is an armored glove. that covers, It's the same Hebrew concept here. And when two people back in the old days, uh, maybe a, 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 a knight or a warrior would get into a battle... When you upset one enough, he would finally take off the gauntlet and throw down the gauntlet. And by throwing down the gauntlet, it would mean, okay, all right, you and me right here. Don't you think I know what you're saying? I know what you've implied. You and me one-on-one, let's get it on. Do you realize that's, that's the imagery in this passage that God is saying to you? God is, God is taking off the glove, throwing down the gauntlet and saying, you don't think I know what you make? You don't think I know what you really believe? You don't think I see that you're acting like an owner rather than a tenant? And he throws down the gauntlet and says, all right, let's you and me get it on. But it's not anger. It's like, get it on, test me, try me. I'm telling you, if you'll go one-on-one with me, I am willing to open the blessings or the open the the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on you that you can't even imagine immeasurably more than you could ever hope for, ask for, imagine if you will just bring the first fruits of your life to me. That's what he says. You say, well, Pastor Jeff, what would you do if you were me? Here's what I would do if I were you. Because it's not that simple, but here's what I would do. And I think this will clear it up. If I was in financial drought, I would do four things. Number one, I would repent. I would, because all of us need to do that. Repent because you're not the owner. Acknowledge to God, God, I realize I'm not the owner. Forgive me for ever having acted as if I'm the owner. Everything I have belongs to you. Second, trust God. It can't be a mistake because he says, honor the Lord with the wealth of the first fruits of your crops and your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. This is a proverb for heaven's sake. It's a proverb. It's not a legalistic mosaic law. It's some code. It's the way God thinks. It's the way he works. He says, it's your move. And if I were you, if you asked me what I would do, I'd walk out of here and I'd make the call immediately to do something where I could get the first fruits of my life going to God. Third thing I do is seek wisdom from a trusted advisor because you can't do it alone. Temptation's too strong. So I'd sign up for Financial Peace University, something we offer here to help you position yourself to do what down deep inside I think you really want to do. And fourth, I'd join a Rudy group now. Listen, I'm going to say this, and I, it needs to be said, and then i got to finish. If you look at Acts 2, 
The Bible says that everybody had something, they had everything in common. And what happened? It wasn't some communistic system where the rich gave to the poor. It was simply where they were so invested in each other's lives, they trusted each other, so that when drought came into one of their lives, the others met the need. God's purpose from the beginning, the reason he established the church, was that so we would love each other and bear each other's burdens. So that when we invest in community, there are people who will love us, and when we hit financial problems, you've got people who are going to come alongside and help you and love you and help you get back on your feet. The problem is, in our generation, we don't want to invest in community. But as soon as something goes, we want to get into a group and expect them to help us, and they don't know us yet. So they don't trust us. I see people show up to our bumper bag ministry, and I'm so glad we do that, but I do often wonder how many of them are invested in a group of people that they would have somebody to love them and take care of their needs. I know that if I hit financial rock bottom, my rooted group would come to my rescue. I know they would. I'm that close to them. Are you? But what we do is live on an island, and then things go bad, and then we want people to help us, and we don't really know them, and we've not invested in any relationship, and we expect them, because they are Christ followers, just to fix everything. It's unrealistic. The Bible says, give and it'll be given to you, pressed down, shaken together, pouring it'll be running over into your life. You give relationship, you're going to get it. You give mercy, you're going to get mercy. You give grace, you're going to get grace. You give help, you're going to get help when you need it. That's the church. I would repent, I would trust God, I would seek the wisdom of a trusted advisor, I'd get into a rooted group and make that investment. But here's the beauty of this passage. And it has more to do with financial drought than you know. Jesus says, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. There is an anger in every one of us that we're not the owner. And until we acknowledge that, the stone the builders rejected will crush us. But if we acknowledge it in humility and pray, God, help me, I submit to your ownership, then the stone the builders rejected, saves us. And he becomes the build, starts to build every area of our lives by his word for his profit. And there's just no shortcut. I want to challenge you that if you're here this weekend and you've never submitted your life to the Lordship of Christ and acknowledge that he's the owner and start it, you can't just acknowledge it, folks. You've got to live as though it's true. You can't beat the messengers up when they deliver the message to you. That's not living like a tenant. And when he asks you for the first fruits of his vineyard and you say no, you're not living like a tenant. You're living like an owner. And the word of God shall not return void. It will be fulfilled in our lives. Father, I thank you for the blessings that you send our way. They are so numerous, so overwhelming. You've given us this beautiful vineyard and you have asked us as you send your messengers for us to be heavily invested in things that matter for your eternal kingdom. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which is lost and that's the job of the church as well. We know that. I pray eyes would be open that the first fruits ministry that starts in Genesis all the way through Revelation will not, should not be violated. And as we step out in faith and trust, We believe you will open the windows of heaven to pour out your blessings on us that we may be a blessing to others in Christ's name. Amen.
This is Today with Jeff Vines, and that's the end of his message, Financial Drought. To hear both parts of this message again, or to hear more from Pastor Jeff, you can head to the Vision Christian Store. That's visionstore.org.au and click on Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines. Just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.